Or by God, I will hold every last one of you sons of bitches in contempt. Bam, bam, bam. It was no use. Warren's courtroom was overflowing with disgruntled white citizens who wanted nothing more than to see my client hang. Two of them on the left side began a chant that was soon taken up by others. We don't care where, we don't care how, we just want to hang Gracie Johnson now. The shouts from some among the white majority sent such a shiver of fear through the colored balcony that one woman fainted and had to be carried out. Another bang of the gavel, Judge Warren stood and shouted, Mr. Loomis, escort all those in the colored section out of my courtroom and out of the building. I couldn't hold my tongue another second. Your Honor, I object. I don't see any of the colored folks being rowdy or disrespectful. The ones making the fuss are the white men in front. Judge Warren glared over his glasses at me. His expression intimidated the room into silence. Mr. Corbett, it is my job to decide how to keep order in my court. It is your job to counsel your client. And let me tell you, from where I sit, she needs all the help she can get. I couldn't disagree. What I once thought would be an easy victory in the case of District of Columbia v. Johnson was swiftly turning into a disaster for Gracie and her increasingly helpless attorney, Benjamin E. Corbett, that being myself. Gracie Johnson was on trial for the murder of Lydia Davenport, a wealthy white woman who was active in Washington society at a level high enough to cause a nosebleed. Worse, Gracie was a black woman accused of killing her wealthy white employer. The year was 1906. Before it was all over, I was afraid they were going to hang Gracie. I had to be careful they didn't hang me while they were at it. Chapter 2 I will not tolerate another outburst, Judge Warren said to the spectators. He turned to look me in the eye. And I suggest that you, Mr. Corbett, select your objections with greater care. Yes, Your Honor, I said, then immediately held my tongue in check with my teeth. Mr. Ames, you may resume questioning the defendant. Carter Ames, the city attorney, was a little old man, about five feet tall. He strode to the witness stand as if he were every inch of six-two. Now, Grace, let's go back to the afternoon in question. July 23rd. In your testimony, before the unfortunate disruption occurred... Isn't it true that you essentially admitted to murdering Mrs. Davenport? Excuse me, sir, I said no such thing, Gracie shot back. The court stenographer will please read the testimony given by Miss Johnson a few moments before the courtroom interruption. Got it right here, Carter, the stenographer said. Wonderful. Ames and the court stenographer were on a first-name basis. No telling which parts of Gracie's testimony had been left out or improved. 
The stenographer flipped back the pages in his tablet and began to read in a droning voice. Ms. Davenport was always a mean old lady. Never had a nice word for anybody. Ask me, she had it coming to her. The day before she got killed, she told me she was fixing to fire me because I was too stupid to know which side of the plate do the fish fork go on. She was a mean old witch, she was. I'm telling you, she had it coming. I jumped up from my chair. Your Honor, obviously my client did not mean... Sit down, Mr. Corbett. I had one more thing to say. I just had to get it out. Your Honor, the prosecutor is deliberately twisting my client's words. Carter Ames turned to me with a smile. Why, Mr. Corbett, I'm not twisting a thing. Your client has spoken for herself. Very.